0: Live from Lane County,
1: Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolzevich. And now, here's Jay! Good afternoon, and welcome
2: to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Jay Bozovich. Like <laughs> Let's try it one more time. Take two.
1: Host- Jay.
2: <laughs> hey, welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And if you can't tell, I am not at my tip top today because I had to go get a shot in my left eardrum uh, at 2 o'clock today, and it is not a pleasant experience. <laughs> and I'm still suffering some of the after effects because I feel like I've got swimmer's ear or something like that pressure in my left ear. Um, so if I'm a little bit off today. That's
0: probably why. And if my
2: head's tilting that side, that might be why too. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what might happen on today's show. But, you know, one of the great things about this show is you can take it over for me just by calling in at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get on the conversation again. That's 646-721-9887. Press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation, and not just calling in to listen to the show like we have several people do. Um, So, today was Inauguration Day, and probably one of the things that you didn't hear in the news today was, where are all these disturbances that were supposedly, that they had all this intelligence about that was going to happen at state capitals and, and the national capital. I haven't heard any, although there's still a few hours left in the day, so, you know, it might still happen. But unlike Inauguration Day four years ago, where they actually damaged buildings in downtown D.C., you know, the the Antifa folks did, I didn't see anything quite happen this year. Now, mind you, there was a lot bigger presence of the military, and they basically, you know, militarized D.C. But, you know, I saw video feed, from Salem, I've seen video feed from other state capitals, and it's crickets. In fact, they were empty because I think people were avoiding them. So, um, kind of wonder what intelligence that folks had that was pointing to all these, you know, supposed uh, disturbances that were going to happen. And excuse me because my throat's getting a little dry. But beyond that. I, I did. I didn't watch because I was, you know, busy doing other commissioner-type things uh, today. But I went back and read the transcript from uh, President Biden's uh, inauguration speech, uh, and there are a few things in it I wish he had said, because he kept trying to stress unity and, and healing and all this stuff in his speech. And if I had been giving this speech. One of the things I would have said is, you know, we need to unify and heal this nation. And because of that, I am calling for my Justice Department, my Attorney General, to encourage this in conjunction with state Attorney Generals to investigate all claims and evidence of election fraud, errors, and misdeeds so that people can have trust in the system because what we saw is the divisions we're seeing are evidence of people who don't trust the results of this election. And they, and what we saw in 2017 inauguration day was people that didn't trust that election. We need to bring the country together, and one of the ways to bring the country together is to make sure everybody believes our elections are fair and secure. And with that, I'm also calling on us to go back and look at the recommendations that came out post-Gore Bush 2000 election about how to improve the security and integrity of our election systems and get those implemented nationwide. We need to make sure everybody on both sides of the aisle, those in between, and those that haven't chosen a side, all believe that our elections are fair and accurate and only those eligible to vote have passed ballots. So we need to investigate claims of fraud, errors, You know, we need to audit the computers to make sure that they're doing what they said they're doing. To just show the people, I mean, if I, you know, I, Joe Biden, believe I won this election fairly, and I want everybody to believe the same thing. So therefore, I'm going to allow these investigations to move forward, and I'm going to encourage they move forward. I would have loved to have heard that today's speech. Is there anything that you think? wanted to hear in that speech? Because, you know, you can just give us a call again, 646-721-9887. I've got a whole list of things I would have loved to have heard President Joe Biden say today. That would have been very important to me to, to, to tell people publicly that I was going to support investigations. Because I think that would have gone so far you know, just constantly telling people where there was not enough evidence and it wasn't significant enough to change the you know the results and you know and keep downplaying it, that only breeds the discontent. If you run the investigation and then they show there was no evidence, that's a whole different story. What are you afraid of? Why won't you run those investigations? Run the investigations. Implement the recommendations of that of that commission that was put in place after the last big debacle and, and, and possible voter fraud and dimpled chads and hanging chads and all that good stuff from 2000. Those too young to remember millennials, etc. Look up dimpled chad, <laughs> dimpled as in like go you know, when you smile, <laughs> dimpled. Yeah, they were trying to, to hold ballots up to the light to see if somebody had maybe tried to punch out the the the, the vote for, for President Gore. <laughs> for Vice President Gore, no, I'm sorry. Um, so it was just, yeah, insane. And, and you know, having also watched uh, Dino Rossi uh, lose his election after, you know, they kept recounting until they could turn over the election. They won it in the first several recounts, and they finally discovered a bunch of ballots in King County, believe it or not, hmm. <laughs> heavily Democrat County, in somebody's car, and it swung it over to uh, uh, Christine Gregoire, and Dino Rossi lost that election. You know, that's the kind of thing... You, you just make folks not trust the election process. <clears throat> we should have everybody trusting that process. Mao Tung said that if 20% of the people believe elections aren't fair, or more, it's not. If you're going to have a revolution, it's when. So we need to get back to where we've got everybody believing our election process is fair, accurate, and secure. that and only those eligible to vote are voting and all the votes are being counted accurately and tabulations are being done accurately, you know, all that needs to be you know, well-documented, investigated, improved, and made so that we're doing all those things. Um, You know, there's so many examples of people, you know, getting multiple ballots, um, being able to ask for replacement ballots. You know, it, it, it was just insane how some of these states ran the elections. Yes, I know it was unusual. We had the COVID thing going on. But we need to get back to the most fair and accurate process possible. I mean, it was up to me, photo ID, proof of citizenship to register to vote, photo ID, day of the election, in-person voting. <laughs> the paper ballots that are stored and, and, and able to be audited. But that's just me. I know there's a lot of people that like the whole mail and ballot stuff, if you're going to do that, then it has to be done really, really well and securely. So that's number one thing I wish Joe Biden had address today in his speech. Number two, a promise to investigate and hold responsible anyone who committed violence during a protest in the last 12 months. No matter which side of the aisle they're on, no matter what the cause is, if you committed violence during a political protest of some kind, I want you to face the full force of the law and in equal proportions. And in making hundreds of arrests in the Capitol, I want to know how many people are being arrested for firebombing the federal courthouse in Portland. You know, I, I want to know that everybody is being held to the same standard, and it should never be acceptable to commit violence. You know, as as a portion of what you think is political speech, it's unacceptable. We talked about this last week and that whole initiation of force. If Biden should have been calling for all political violence to be looked into. But it seems like the only time it really, you know, makes headlines is when it's, you know, the, the right that takes over a capital. Everybody forgets when the unions overran the state capitol in Wisconsin when Scott Walker was governor and the Wisconsin legislature was getting ready to pass a right to work initiative and how they basically took over the state house there and in fact many Democrats that condemned the capitol invasion last week praised some of the folks involved in the takeover of Wisconsin State Capitol at the time. It was wrong. Then it was wrong last week. It always has to be wrong. And I wish that President Biden had called that out in his speech as part of his unity message is that Not only should we be unified in wanting fair elections, we should be unified in wanting anyone to commit violence, no matter what their political message is, to be investigated and then charged, and if they're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, punished and held responsible. How can that not be a unifying message? fair elections, hold everybody responsible. Pretty unified. I, I, I don't get it. You know, all these calls for unity, but we didn't get calls for, you know, election integrity or, you know, investigating all political violence. There's never an excuse. So that's my first two, about five or different topics I wish you had addressed. Of course, I always invite folks to call in and uh, express their views here on Bo's Nose Show at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get on the conversation. You know, I'll just remind folks that Inauguration and national politics, and all that's going on in the world. Like last night, we had a new mayor in Springfield. And the city council appointed uh, Councilor Sean Van Gordon as mayor. Sean's um, a, a friend of mine that I've known for a long time. One of the smartest people I know. One of the most thoughtful people I know. One of these kind of people that thinks about unintended consequences of actions and takes to them through very carefully. He's going to be a great leader for Springfield. Uh, I, I'm, I'm confident of that. Um, so, congratulations to Sean, and uh, you know, go forth and do great things. Springfield has been showing the way locally a lot. It's kind of it's going to be interesting because I have a feeling that this this new payroll tax that Eugene just uh, started this this year, uh, is going to be chasing a lot of companies across the highway to Springfield. So I hope they've got room for them all over there. Um, but you know, great things are happening in Springfield. Their downtown is changing significantly thanks to entrepreneurs like David Lovell refurbishing buildings. Um, you know, they've just got good things going on there. You know, including a restaurant you can sit down there. Um, <laughs> but you know, Sean's going to be great, I, and I really appreciate Springfield's can-do attitude. You know, the city of Eugene dithered and dithered over this whole um, accessory dwelling units and trying to, to implement that, and this whole idea of uh, you know, breaking up the single-family dwelling zoning and, and allowing more, more units. Yet, yeah, Eugene is the First place constant talks about homelessness and the housing crisis, but they will not, you know, it's not my backyard type stuff, you know, and yet Springfield jumped feet first in the whole accessory dwelling unit, and they went as far as actually trying to incentivize people to build them so there'd be more places for people to live. Made it easier to put them in. Eugene, on the other hand, was trying to figure out how they could make it harder and delayed implementing a mandated state law. You know, it's like for all the the, the great emotion around homelessness and housing in Eugene, they, they just won't do some things, or Springfield's just right in there. And then after the holiday farm fire, Springfield's done everything they can to make it easy for people to host a family living in their RV in their driveway if they wanted to or at the place of business or some other place. And they really relaxed their rules around that and made it so much easier. Eugene still waiting for their ordinances around that. Springfield gets things done. And it's you know, folks like Councillor Van Gordon and now Mayor Van Gordon um help get that done. And I just have to appreciate their can do attitude over there. But getting back to national politics, because we can talk local, we can talk national, we bounce back and forth here at Boston Show, even with state politics like you know, this whole craziness, you know, with with Queen Kate and her Edicts around COVID and how they're constantly changing, and the whipsawing that's happening to businesses as they're being told they can close, they can open, they can close, they have to close again. And you know, we're we're going to inoculate in this order, and now we're going to do teachers ahead of 80 year olds. Um, You know, schools can't open. Oh, now that 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 requirement list is now on recommendations, and now you can open. You know, it's like, oh my gosh just be consistent. You remind me of FDR trying to deal with the Great Depression. He extended it by years because he wouldn't settle on on his economic policies. He kept changing them, which freezes capital. Great book about it. The Forgotten Man by Amity Shales. If you want to understand how FDR actually extended the Great Depression, not cured it. But that's a whole different topic. Getting back (laughs) getting back away from local and state politics to Nashville there are a couple other things I would have loved to hear our president address one of them would have been to talk about how he was going to help small business recover from this crisis our state governments have put them in in the COVID closures, and just what
1: you know,
2: all the the lockdowns and everything else of COVID's done to small business. Amazon's thriving. Walmart's doing great. But It's the mom and pop local businesses that are suffering the worst during this COVID days. Now we love to hear and say, you know, as part of trying to unify this nation and get us to recover because after this unprecedented, you know, once-in-a-lifetime in a pandemic, I am going to help small business by limiting the number of new regulations that go in place because small business doesn't have the excess capacity to hire people just to fill out forms to, 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 to show that they're adhering to some new regulations. So every new regulation you put on the books hurts the little guy, but somebody like Amazon, they've got, you know, they just hire another employee that can fill that paperwork out for them. And and it's no skin off their back because they're so big, another employee doesn't make a difference. When you only got five, another employee is a big difference. So I'm going to limit the number of new regulations. In fact, I'm going to see if I can cut regulation. But, you know, He's gone the other direction already in his first executive orders. So just, just so you know, that's not happening. He didn't, he didn't help small businesses. He's actually going to implement more regulation. And at the same time, I also would have said, and I'm committed to maintaining low taxes for those small businesses and entrepreneurs and self-employed people out there. Because I know that new taxes and increases in taxes at these times just not going to help you. And it's not just increases in taxes on the business. I'm talking increases in taxes on the things your business uses, like energy. So, therefore, I'm going to limit regulations and I'm going to hold taxes down. I'm not going to propose any new taxes. Didn't hear that today. You now another thing I would have loved to hear and address, part of this whole COVID thing, and, and economic recovery, would have been a commitment to maintain the security of the borders of the United States. One, to make sure we're not having people crossing this country that are spreading the variants of the virus in here from other countries. And two, because this pandemic's economic impacts has been borne, you know, mostly by the lowest income, which includes heavily minorities, people of color, and the and the folks with the least power in our system. The folks that the Democrats purport to be the strong advocates for And the illegal labor that comes with illegal immigrants, these folks that get used and basically abused by folks that are willing to pay them under the table for lower than minimum wage, take jobs and financial opportunities from those on the lowest end of our economic and wage scales, which tend to be heavily minorities and people of color and those without political power. So therefore, I, President Biden, commit to our border security and making sure that folks coming to this country are coming in legally and that we're making sure we're keeping disease out of this country and that we're protecting the economic opportunity for those with the least amount of power in our country.
1: when the time
2: comes and our economic recovery is underway, at that point, I propose that we expand the quotas for legal immigration from all countries across the globe. Because one of the things we have right now is people jumping ahead by illegally entering this country, while people are on 10-year waiting lists from countries like Nigeria and the Philippines people of color, that can't get into this country legally because we've got such tight quotas. So I want to prevent illegal immigration, and I want to promote legal immigration into this country as our economy recovers, because it will keep us healthy and it will protect those on the lowest end of our economic spectrum as we come out of this recession that COVID caused. That should be a unifying message. But you know what the first, one of the first things he's doing is he's stopping construction of the law, and he's talking about trying to allow more people into this country illegally and giving them a path to citizenship ahead of those people on that 10-year waiting list in Nigeria. Equal opportunity under the law illegal immigration is unequal opportunity. It also presents an opportunity for human trafficking, for basically modern-day slavery as,
0: you know, the
2: threat of exposing somebody who's in this country illegally. allows people to employ them at basically slave wages and, and get away with, you know, horrible things. And their treatment of the employees that they would never get away with employing somebody from that lower end of the economic spectrum at minimum wage under a legal employment under, you know, jurisdiction, yeah, you know, in this country. But no, we're going to allow illegal immigration. We're going to allow those folks to be taken advantage of, and we're going to. You know, jump the line for those folks that are waiting, and we're going to displace people in our economy that can least afford to be displaced. That's probably the most controversial thing I wish you would said today. We should know who's entering our country. They should be coming in legally, with the intent to be citizens. And we should be expanding the number of people coming because immigration generates you know, what this country was, was built on, that melting pot coming from all over the world, combining cultures into that thing we call America, driving our economic engine through the ideas and cultures that come from other places. It's always been a strong part of America, and will always will be. <laughs> so, one more thing I wish we had talked about. Well, actually, too. Along with trying to help those folks that are low income, most likely to be minorities and people of color, and, and the, the least powerful in our society, I wish that as part of this unity speech, he would have made a commitment. school choice in his speech and said that he was going to have the department of education eliminate the mandate they have around curriculum and other things but place a mandate in there that choice has to be a part of getting federal money that the parents should have the choice of where their child gets educated and where that where that federal money follows them because Many of our public school systems are failing our low income, minority, people of color, people without power, because those systems are dominated and have a monopoly. They need competition to drive them towards being successful and excellent. Where there has been competition, Parents have gone, you know, love that system. Some of the biggest advocates for school choice are, are folks from our inner city. So wanting to have that unity and opportunity, why wouldn't that be part of the message? Of parting to rebuild from, from COVID as we, as we reopen schools, let's talk about choice because you know, a lot of our public schools certainly failed in, in their ability to deliver education remotely. There are online charter schools here in Oregon that, that have been doing it for years and understood how to do it. But the public school system certainly didn't do a very good job. And looking at the grades and some of the test scores, et cetera, that have been falling, this should be part of the recovery choice. And to address some of the, the issues around uh, you know, justice and equities and everything else, I would have also talked in my speech about maximizing freedom for individuals. Because one of the things we've had recently in some of the businesses is a call for limiting freedoms. Word calling for censorship, we're calling for, you know, this whole cancel culture. We should be allowing ideas to compete with each other and allowing people to speak freely because you know, sometimes the best argument is to let somebody stay out there and say something really stupid and people realize, you know, that was really stupid and I don't
1: agree with
2: it. But if you if you Ban people ahead of time from speaking. We never have the opportunity to see good idea next bad idea and make a decision. You shouldn't be afraid of having all ideas out there. You shouldn't be afraid of people being free. Because One of the things about talking about freedom for individuals is treating people as individuals. Therefore, you're not treating them... You know, by grouping them under a color of their skin or their national origin or what religion they belong to or their sexual preference, they're an individual. It breaks down those groups when you start talking about individual freedom. There's unity in being individuals and treating people as individuals because you stop seeing groups and stop treating people as groups. The roots of racism are in the fact that people think there's more than one race and treat people as members of a group. We have to stop doing that. We have to learn to treat people as individuals and maximize individual freedoms and not limit them. So those are my five items I wish he he covered in his speech. You want to chime in with the number six, or comment on those five about, you know, election integrity, or you know, uh, political violence, or uh, secure borders and immigration, or small business help by limiting regulations and taxes, or school choice, or maximizing individual freedoms. Actually, that's six, isn't it? Just the of six. <laughs> Give us a call here on the Bo's shows Show, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 to get in on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that gets you in. And let's rob in my call screener and producer extraordinaire. I know you want to get in on the conversation here as we while away another Wednesday afternoon. With your opportunity to talk to an elected official, one of five county commissioners here in Lane County, a county of three hundred and seventy five thousand individuals and you know it it's an opportunity i I try and put out here every Wednesday uh, the opportunity to talk to me to, to ask me a question, put me on the record, but we can talk about some other things going on around around town. Um, know yeah, I've had some interesting things going going around and a few things that are coming up for the board and all that we can talk about uh, one of the things happening is is there's proposal coming before the board next week um, and and to put something on the ballot on behalf of the citizens of the Mohawk Valley uh, Fire District that want to form a public safety district that, that has the same boundaries, because they want to tax themselves to pay for extra law enforcement. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting discussion. I, I, I truly hope to hear from the citizens, because if this is about government trying to set up taxing district to add employees that doesn't feel very good to me. But if it's the citizens coming forward saying give us the opportunity to vote to tax ourselves because we really think we need more law enforcement or willing to pay for it, that's something I can get behind. So I'm hoping I'm hear- I hear from some citizens when we have that public hearing on this. Next week is just a work session, our first discussion of it. We're also going to be talking about redistricting next Wednesday have a work session on that. So, you know, if you've got some opinions you might want to express it to myself or the other commissioners about how we should be doing redistricting. I I have been constantly advocating for that we need to have an independent commission that's balanced of citizens. You know, preferably citizens may be vetted and appointed by retired judges. So it kind of removes you know the commissioners from, from you know <laughs> political play in how that, that commission gets put together and have them draw the boundaries up in accordance with the recommendations from the Secretary of State's office and past um, court cases, et cetera, that are, that are fair, balanced, you know, population-wise, you know, follow geographic boundaries to communities of interest together the whole, the whole nine yards. And Once they develop those, submit a proposal to the board of commissioners for an up or down vote. And if it's a down vote, it goes back to the commission. The commissioners can't you know, put their own districts forward because we shouldn't be selecting who our voters are. And I, and I think that you know, would go a long ways towards some of that reestablishing you know, trust of the voter. It's not just about elections, also about how we divide up the districts to have those elections and it gets down to local and state governments. Um, you know, for the president, you know, there is none of that, but when you talk about, you know, legislative districts that look like, you know, letters of the alphabet instead of, you know, a nice, you know, square rectangle or circle or something, you know, you you kind of get, you know, scratching your head of why, you know, uh, the University of Oregon in the same district as Shed, is um, up in, in Lynn County, the you know, House Legislative District. It's shaped like a great big C. there other districts, you know, they're shaped like S's in this state, weird shapes just to try and grab people. I live in one that's shaped like an L. wonder why they did that. It has Elmira in it and South Eugene, the South Hills of Eugene. So we, uh, that's one thing coming up before the board. You know, but a couple of topics that have been hot on my email, folks want to talk about it. There's some annexation thing going on in Florence. I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that at all. <laughs> well, uh, Benedict Properties is trying to get 40 acres annexed out there because they couldn't get approval for their next phase of Idlewood subdivision uh, from the county, so now they're trying to get annexed into the City of Florence and see if they can get the City of Florence to buy into their um, proposals that, are, have, that aren't that really well planned out, and they haven't fixed the problems from their first phases as far as storm drainage goes. Um, yeah, I'm not
1: too keen on
2: that proposal personally, uh, but I don't know how much power I have as an individual commissioner to stop it because uh, it's really a
1: city of Florence
2: decision. Um, uh, and then, of course, you know, I've been getting a lot of email about just the, the same explosion of homeless camping that's going on at this point of uh, you know, it, it seemed to be getting worse and worse as COVID went on and, we, you know, part of our decision to not move people because we didn't want to have homeless population moving around and interacting with each other, you know, in too big, you know, expanding their, their bubbles, so to speak, into more and more people because they're a pretty vulnerable population health-wise uh, because they tend not to take care of their health at all because they usually don't have any. For active care it's all reactive um, and usually at the emergency level reactive so you know we're trying you know that was part of the strategy was you know, to try not to move them but it seems like we're having this explosion of camps in very public places and the one out at West 11th and Beltline seems to be the latest focus of public um, you know worrying about uh, you know how do we, how do we uh, deal with this whole thing? So I'm, yeah, you know, I, I, I see that as an issue, and, and I think we're trying to deal with the one out there on West 11th. Um, we're trying to look for some more permanent, better places that they might be able to camp. Particularly, assuming we've got these uh, pallet um, housing that we've purchased uh, that we might be able to set them up in. That's be a whole lot more safe sanitary and warm for them uh we can get them get them set up and put someplace a little bit more permanent problem is finding someplace to host them so robin it looks like we got somebody waiting to get on the air there because i see the question mark on the board Um,
0: yeah you you caught me on typing we have matthew on the line here
2: hey matthew welcome to bo's Nose show
3: all right. Hi, yes, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill, and I am the number one-ranked editor for Everpedia.org. Everpedia is an internet encyclopedia set run for profit from Santa Monica, California. I am also the host of the Everpedia boxing show. It's on Spotify. I have a Bachelor yeah. of Science from Colorado Christian University, and I am also an ex-athlete. I've been a hard when he was in the U.S. Army World Class Athlete Program in the USA Boxing sanction Match. Hartzog was 1997 U.S. Armed Forces Super Heavyweight Champion. Again, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill, O-apostrophe-N-E-I-L. And I'm also a registered Republican. I have been a Republican since 2012, and I voted for Republicans the last eight years. I've also voted for Mitt Romney and Donald Trump twice. Uh, the reason for the call is, I'd have to say I believe that the that the Pennsylvania and the Georgia election results were fraudulent. I believe that Donald Trump won both of those states. That I believe that uh, Pennsylvania was won through fraudulent mail-in ballots, and I also believe that President Trump won the Georgia election. Joe Biden was elected today, and I hope that he does he does a great job as a president. Joe Biden is a, is a really good politician, so. Hopefully he could do a good job. I just think that maybe there was some voter fraud in the twenty twenty presidential election. Yeah, and and
1: that's
2: you know, if missed the very top of the show, one of the things I wish that that President Biden had called for in his unity speech would be for investigation of any claims of Fraud or errors uh, or misdeeds relative to this election, and a commitment to reforms, you know, that might come out of some of those investigations to make the next election more secure and to ensure trust. Because, you know, if if everybody believes that you know some of these folks that want to tell you that there wasn't enough evidence and you know, it wasn't significant, you know, what there was wasn't significant enough to change the results fine run the investigation restore trust and transparency that is so critical right now I I you know as a, my background as an engineer so statistics is part of what you, you look at sometimes in trends and you just can't ignore the statistical evidence that showed that you know based on what we were seeing relative to President Trump's performance between 2016 and 2020 with minorities and large urban areas everywhere but in four places in this country, four urban areas. He did much better in twenty twenty than twenty sixteen. So how how do you end up losing this election if there was such a demographic shift? But Atlanta, Philadelphia, Detroit and Milwaukee all fucked that trend. And you have to wonder at, you know, just looking at statistics, why? And why wouldn't anybody want to investigate that statistical anomaly? Yeah, I'd also like
1: to say. Go ahead.
3: Yes, I'd also like to say that President Trump, uh, President, former President Trump was a uh, promoter of professional boxing. He promoted the Riddick Ball versus Andrew Golota match. He also promoted many of Mike Smith's matches when Tyson was heavyweight champion. In 2019, the United States Supreme Court gambling will be should be legal all throughout the United States, and states like Rhode Island and also New Hampshire have recently adopted sports books for their casinos. A lot of people like to consider football, basketball and baseball to be our big sports. And when someone brings up professional boxing, I've talked to a lot of people on the street and they just think that pro boxing is fake. That it's like professional wrestling. However, I have to stand up for the sport of boxing as an amateur and a pro. And I think that uh, online online gambling, when other states, all of the, all of the states make sports gambling legal, I think it will be a good idea. I think there's a problem because our states are so are so varied. What's legal in one state is illegal in, a, in another. You can call up a, a marijuana dispensary in Massachusetts right now and buy marijuana tomorrow in a store. While in other states, like Alabama, if you, if you get caught with it, you can actually go to prison. So I like to say that I think sports gambling is going is really going to take off over the next year, year and a half. And I, I hope that other states, almost all of the can can make sports gambling legal.
2: Yeah. And, you know, my, I, I'm a registered <laughs> Republican, but I come from a libertarian background and I've always thought, you know, gambling and, 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 uh, certain drugs should be legal. Um, and, but I also am a strong supporter of, uh, the 10th amendment and state's powers and state's rights. So that, that, each state can make some of those choices and see which ones, you know, each, each one their own individual lab of government. And we can see which ones are, are being successful and which ones aren't. And, and, you know, kind of work towards a trend. But I think what you're seeing with both marijuana and, and gambling is you're seeing uh, more and more acceptance of it as um, a sanctioned legal activity uh, rather than something that people go to prison for. Um, and it's a lot better to be out in the open because then the underworld is running it and funding other things like human trafficking with some of the proceeds. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I appreciate that, that view and I just have to say, Matthew, boxing is truly a sport. Um, I, I never boxed personally, but uh, my two older brothers went to the, one went to uh, you saw the other went the West Point, and while they were there, they boxed and uh, were their weight and, and class champions at the time. And both of them were heck of, a, heck of a good athletes in other sports. Um, and I tell you, yeah, you have to be an athlete to box well. Um, it's an endurance sport. It's a you know, a reaction sport. Eye-hand coordination. <clears throat> it, it's tough. And I, I, hats off to you for your your career as a boxer, um, and I hope uh, your your show does well on Spotify. And I really appreciate uh, giving us a call today on the Bose No Show, maybe taking us in a direction we wouldn't
3: normally go. Okay, well, thank, thank you for having having me on your program.
2: All right, thanks, Matthew. Good luck. So that was Matthew, and and see, that's perfect proof here on the Bose Nose Show. Anyone can call in, even if you're from California and you want to talk a little bit about boxing, mixed in with your fact that, you know, some of the election fraud issues and other stuff we've talked about here, but we're open to all topics here on the Bose Nose Show. And uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it's under your control. Six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one. That gets you in on the on the board. As you know, with a little question mark. Like I, I interrupted Robin trying to type Matthew's name in after you know he she talked to him doing her call screening thing. But when you only have one caller up, I just was trying to get him up as soon as possible. So uh, the board is clear right now. If you want to give us a call. Again, 646 721 Matt, we'll go back to talking a little bit about local issues, you know, because we were talking about homelessness and, and uh, you know, other issues. And, and it brings to mind a conversation I was having with somebody today, you know, I, I, and this is the incongruity of our state laws around COVID. I got my hair cut today. I can't go eat in a restaurant. I can't work out in a gym but I can get my hair cut. I was talking to um, the woman that cuts my hair and, you know, in general about, you know, being happy that we didn't live in a large urban city like Los Angeles or San Francisco or, or Seattle or New York or, you know, one of those big cities or even in the suburbs, because a lot of the issues that are going on nowadays between, you know, rioting, um, you know, and COVID and everything else, but where, you know, she was noting that where she lives, there's a huge amount of growth. Um, Cause she kind of commutes in, in and out of the state. Uh, she lives part-time in, in another state. Uh, and she was talking about how many people are moving there now to get away from LA. She lives, you know, relatively close to LA, but, you know, out. And, uh, I was just like, yeah. The only bad thing is, is a lot of these people move out of these urban areas, and they immediately start supporting, you know, political efforts that got the area they're in into the trouble that they moved away from. You know, whether it was how high the housing cost was and the cost of living, how bad the traffic is, to the crime, to the homeless, you know, issues to everything else they're trying to move away from. The first thing they do is go to the polls and start supporting all those things. And, and, you know, we saw it here in Oregon, Oregon changed from a state that was, you know, more on the red side over the years, last, you know, 40 years to a very blue state with the influx of folks moving up from California because, Real, real estate's relatively cheap here. But now real estate's getting very expensive. And we've got a homeless problem. And we've got riots in Portland. And, you know, I was saying, you know, people just don't get some of what they're doing. And we're just, we're doing it here in Oregon. Where we're, you know, this, this homeless issue, part of it is, is how easy we're making it for folks. We're enabling folks live on the streets, stay addicted to whatever substance they're addicted to, and not be held accountable for any of the criminal activity they do to support their addiction. We've passed laws that reduced our property crime sentencing structure in this state. So you have to do a pretty big property crime to be in the felony range, property crime range. Now we just finished passing Measure one hundred ten, which basically makes possession of almost all drugs misdemeanors. Almost addicted person has the ability to go out and do petty theft, fence those items, and buy drugs, divest those drugs, and never really be held accountable for all that. Yet that that drug illegal drug trade is supporting the gangs and other, you know, cartels and everything else that are manufacturing, and importing those illegal drugs and distributing them. So all that petty theft adds up and enables, you know, these violent clashes between these folks for territory and whatever else, and the murders that they commit. In addition, a lot of those same gangs that steal illegal, illegal drugs are also involved in human trafficking. So thinking that this is a, a without harm crime to enable these folks to stay homeless and addicted is not a good solution. We need to be thinking about how do we permanently change their life. What does that? And the one thing I was talking to this person about is we used to and we were we were getting very successful in what we call downward departure and diversion type of systems where, yes, these people will get arrested and charged with a felony, but that prison sentence that was hanging over their head was motivation for them to actually make change. I've watched interviews and talked to folks that are in addiction. They will not change their behavior unless there's some external force that almost forces them to do it. When they're in their full-blown addiction, they have no desire to get sober most of the time, because they're in their full-blown addiction. If you put them in a jail cell for a couple of days, sober them up enough, and say, by the way, you're facing a five-year prison sentence, or we can put you in this, this drug court program where if you successfully complete everything that's involved in that drug court program, like going through treatment, you know, getting a job, getting stable and everything else. At the end of successfully completing that, we'll wipe the charges off. It won't even show up on your record. And that was a highly successful program, very low recidivism. But now we can't even get people eligible for it because we're not charging enough people with felony. We're charging them with misdemeanor which they laugh at because they know the jail's full and, and un, under reduced capacity because we have to keep people, you know, separated due to COVID. So getting charged with misdemeanors to get out of jail free card, they may spend a night you know, while they're waiting to get processed in the courts, maybe a weekend if they got arrested on Friday. And they're, and they're back out on the street. And they know that. Where's the motivation to get these people changed? We need to do it through that criminal justice system, and we need to also do it through how we deal with the unhoused.
0: Can I jump in there, too? Sure. Um, In the last couple of minutes of the show, we had a homeless person that set up camp um, next to our property on Friday, and when I came in Monday... You know, we had the big pile of stuff, and we had EPD come out and uh, um, talk to us. But anyways, I had an opportunity to talk to him today, to the homeless guy. And I'm, I'm going to give him a kill this cause he this because he's getting ready to move, and he was cleaning up his mess, which, of course, I thanked him greatly for, since I'd be the one that had to clean it up. And so I asked him, you know, if, if you don't mind sharing your story. And he said that... You know, he got a bad start in life, wound up with two felonies. He said he's, he was, was going to school, but COVID kind of put a, a thing into that. He's trying to get a job and trying to do something with his life. And talking to the guy, I believe him. I mean, he seems – in fact, I asked him point blank. I mean, it, you know, is there any needles I need to worry about? He goes, no, I'm not into that. So he could be telling me the truth, which I really believe he is, but uh, – you know, and I asked him, is there any programs that you're aware of that, that can help you? And he said they're not that he was aware of.
2: Yeah. And that's that's where I you know permanent supported housing is the place we need to be concentrated on. Not setting up tent camps and stuff like that that don't really deal with the behavior and 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 either the mental illnesses and the drug addictions and everything else that might be driving homelessness. We need Permanent supported housing with intensive case management that gets them that, that, that hand up and, and, and in a place where they can be stable enough to get a job. It's really hard to get a job when you don't have an address. What do you put on the, on the job application form? The sidewalk in front of, you know, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's very difficult. How, you know, how, how can you, you know, you got to worry about your stuff getting stolen when you do go to work.
1: You know, it, it's
2: not easy. They're, not every homeless person is drug addicted, but it, drug addiction drives a significant portion of homelessness. So with that, we did run out of time here on the Bozo Show. We'll be back next week with another edition. Hopefully I won't just have gotten a shot in my eardrum and I'll be a little bit more coherent. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back four o'clock next week coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.